0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second season of the History of Modern Greece, where we cover the subject of the fall of Constantinople to the modern day. I'm your host, Daniel Roberts, and I'm here with my father, George. Hi, my name's George, and our music is brought to you by Mark Youngerman. This is Season 2, Episode 67 Norman Conquests, Part 2, Robert Giscard. In our last episode, we established the Duchy of Normandy, a powerful state within the Kingdom of France that was founded by Viking warriors and the great Rollo the Walker. We left off with Robert, the Duke of Normandy, perishing on his journey to the Holy Land to make up for his sins against the Church, ultimately leaving his 8-year-old bastard William as the rightful Duke of Normandy. However, we also touched upon the civil war caused between Duke Robert and his brother Duke Richard III of Normandy, which saw many nobles expelled from their homes, forced to seek their fortune elsewhere. This episode will follow one of those Normans, specifically a man named Robert Giscard. This man will start his career as a mercenary working for the Roman army in the conquests against the Fatimids in Sicily, but will ultimately set his targets on the imperial capital of Constantinople. This is his story.
1: This story begins in Italy. In the early 11th century or 1000 CE, Italy was a fractured state nothing like it is today. The north was controlled by the Holy Roman Empire, the old East Frankish kingdom. The southern end of the peninsula was controlled by several smaller states known as Benevento, Salerno, and Capua, ruled by Lombard princes. And at the southern end of the boot was controlled by the Byzantine Empire, Sicily was ruled by the Fatimid caliphate. It is in the Italian state of Benevento that Norman warriors traveled on pilgrimage to visit a holy site when they were approached by a Lombard nobleman. This Lombard nobleman was a vassal of the Byzantine Empire and wanted to finally get rid of his Greek overlords and establish the independent Lombard kingdom. The Normans were battle-hungry Vikings and enthusiastically agreed to help the Lombard Prince in his war against the Byzantine Emperor. In 1018, the Lombard Prince, with his Norman mercenaries, engaged with the Romans in their fight for independence. Unfortunately for the Lombards, the Romans annihilated their army. It was a complete disaster, and the Lombard Rebellion came to a crashing end. But for the Normans, this was just the beginning. It is important to note that the Lombard states in southern Italy lived under Byzantine control for centuries. Dating back to the conquests of Justinian the Great, the Lombards had once been Arian Christians and did not recognize the authority of the Pope in religious matters. But over time they grew to become more Catholic and looked to the Pope for religious guidance. All the while the Byzantine subjects, the Greeks, who lived in the southernmost part of Italy, looked to the Patriarch in Constantinople for religious guidance. The Lombards, with their allegiance to the Pope, found it hard to live under Greek control, whose influence came from the Patriarch in Constantinople. So once one Lombard kingdom revolted against the Byzantines, The rest quickly followed suit. Now, this wasn't possible while Basil II was emperor, as he had tight control over his empire, but the seeds for independence were sowed.
0: The Lombards had once controlled the majority of the Italian peninsula, and there is no doubt that these Lombard princes, in their small states, wanted to retake the peninsula and restore the Lombard nations to its former glory. When Charlemagne was at its strongest, this was impossible. But as soon as the Carolinian Empire collapsed, the Lombards had their shot at gaining independence. Little did they know the Byzantine Empire was about to see its greatest emperor of all time. Basil II crushed the Lombard rebels and subdued the southern half of Italy. Now, two events in history made it possible for everything to change. The first was the death of Basil II. And the second was the arrival of Norman mercenaries. So how did the Normans make it to Italy? Our last episode chronicled the rise of Rollo and the birth of Normandy. But we also covered the political instability of the region. The land was home to Viking warlords, brutes who made their wealth plundering and conquering weaker states. Once Rollo became Duke Robert of Normandy, it set a hierarchy in place. Only the nobles could control their lands, and since everyone was a Norman warlord, there wasn't enough land to give to these savage warriors, and the ones not in power were outcast from their land, forced to seek their fortune elsewhere. This story begins with two brothers, the Drengot brothers. As we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, in the Battle of 1018, the Lombard Rebellion was crushed and massacred almost to the very last man. Among the few to escape was the ringleader of the Lombard Revolt, a man named Mellus of Bari, as well as one of the Norman mercenaries, Reynolf Drengot, Going back in time, just a few decades, to the land of Normandy, under the reign of Richard II, who was the grandson of Rollo, Reynolf Drengot and several other men committed a violent act that saw them exiled from Normandy. We don't know what it is that they did for Richard II to kick them out of their homeland, But it must have been something horrific. This is just an assumption from us, but it's possible they either killed Norman warriors who were in control of the land, or else they may have gone against the orders of Norman nobility and raided the peasants living in Normandy. The fact that Duke Robert was now the owner of Normandy and all of its subjects, the act of raiding and pillaging villages would have been an assault against the property of the Duke, and therefore an attack against the House of Normandy. It's okay to raid and pillage and rape the citizens of another state, but as soon as you own all those people, those poor peasants become your property. Therefore, any Viking men who continued to raid the land granted to the Normans were considered criminals. Again, we don't know what actions the Drengot brothers committed, but we know they were expelled from Normandy by Richard II. Reynolf and his brothers and 250 other Viking men were banished from the land. They were lucky to escape with their heads. Once they left Normandy, they sought their adventures further south. They couldn't raid the lands of the Holy Roman Empire, as that territory was heavily controlled by the Saxon Emperor Otto. So the Normans continued their journey south and sought out a shrine in southern Italy dedicated to the angel Michael, a warrior angel who is recognized in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. They must have thought that a warrior angel represented them perfectly well, and why shouldn't it? They were warriors, and now they were Christians. Why not visit the shrine to the warrior angel? When the small band of Norman warriors arrived in southern Italy,
1: they found the region fractured. And they were quickly approached by a Lombard prince to fight in a rebellion against the Byzantine overlords. At the time, the only Byzantine forces in Italy were small. But very quickly, the rebellion brought the wrath of Basil II, and the rebellion was crushed. Almost everyone died, including most of the Normans as well as Gilbert Drengot, Reinolf's brother. The surviving Normans followed Reinolf as their leader and sought refuge in the mountains. Their old master, the Lombard Prince, had abandoned them and sought refuge with the Holy Roman Empire, leaving the Normans in southern Italy to their own devices. At this point in history, there were no more than a few hundred Norman warriors, but they were still the strongest warriors in the land and their ambitions were just getting started. They built up their own stronghold in in Campania, a southern Italian state. They were not farmers, and so needed to raid villages and nearby settlements for food and supplies, raining terror on the inhabitants of Campania. With the strength of the Normans increasing, the Lombard independence movement quickly changed into a Norman conquest of southern Italy. It quickly became apparent that the powerhouse in the southern peninsula was no longer the Holy Roman Empire or the Lombard Separatists, but was in fact the Byzantine Empire. And the Normans hiding in the mountains quickly found that fact out for themselves. In 1020, the last prince of the Lombard Rebellion was captured by the Byzantines. In front of a crowd, The Lombard Prince was bound by his hands and feet and forced into a sack. The Byzantines then placed a snake, a monkey, and a rooster into the sack with the Lombard Prince, then tossed the sack into the sea. It was a gruesome execution, and also signaled the end of the Lombard Rebellion. This execution left the Norman mercenaries with no one to pay them to fight.
0: After the death of the Lombard Prince, the greatest army led by one of the greatest Byzantine generals, George Maniakes, arrived on the shores of Italy. Their goal was to take the island of Sicily from the Fatimids. It was a multi-ethnic super army, and it had the money to pay for any mercenary willing to help their cause. George Maniakes was a superstar of his time, akin to Alexander the Great. He led his army from the front, charging into battle beside his men. He was a fierce warrior who was accompanied by the Imperial Varangian Guard. The Varangian Guard, as we explained in the previous episode, was made up of Norsemen from Scandinavia. They were Vikings. Leading the Varangian Guard was a nobleman Named Harold Hardrada, a warrior from Constantinople who was born in Norway. He had made his way through the river system to the Byzantine Empire and now rode on the ship across the Adriatic to the Italian peninsula to take over the island of Sicily. Harold Hardrada had proven himself capable during the siege of Aleppo. He was a brave Viking warrior loyal to the Byzantine Emperor. George Maniakis, the Superstar General, was a tough man, and often whipped his subordinates for disobeying orders. Unfortunately for him, one of his officers who let him down in battle was stripped naked in front of all his men and beaten nearly to death. This type of disgrace was meant to teach his officers a lesson about following orders. But what George Maniakis didn't know at the time was that this officer was related to the family that seized the imperial throne after the death of Constantine VIII. This act triggered a response from the imperial capital, and George Maniakis was recalled from Italy. George Maniakis wasn't going to take this line down, and he raised an army of Byzantine soldiers who led a rebellion against the new emperor. But they were swiftly defeated and killed in battle. All of the successes won by Maniaces in Sicily, the land taken by the Roman soldiers was eventually lost. The Arabs regrouped and systematically repelled the Byzantine forces, and the Fatimids took back the entire island. Consequently, the Norman mercenaries who were hired by the Byzantines and fought with them in the conquests of Sicily learned for themselves the prize that waited on the other side of the narrow sea. The Normans had been mercenaries this entire time, fighting for other powers. But now they had seen the lands of Sicily for themselves. Did they really need a foreign power to finance their campaign? They were the strongest men in the region. Why couldn't they just take it for themselves? In 1041,
1: another Lombard attempt at independence broke out. They must have seen the writing on the wall. The Byzantine Empire was fractured. Their great leader Basil II had been dead for over 15 years. Imperial control over Italy was all but forgotten. There was so much drama going on in the imperial court that they stopped focusing on Italy and even stopped paying their soldiers. The remaining Byzantine forces were demoralized. They weren't getting paid. They weren't getting reinforcement and they had been all but abandoned. Meanwhile, another family of landless Norman knights came to Italy to join their Norman cousins. There was nothing for them in France, and so they sought their fortunes elsewhere. These knights were known as the Hotville brothers. They were led by their eldest surviving brother, William, William the Iron Arm. William led his Norman brothers in a campaign with the Lombards against the Byzantine army in another attempt to overthrow the Greek overlords. The last time the Normans had fought with the Lombards in the war against the Byzantines, they were utterly defeated. But this time, the Byzantines were weaker. The Normans were stronger now, with more men. And to make the situation worse, the Byzantines were a weaker force less organized, and underfunded. The result of this campaign was a total victory for the Lombards and Norman mercenaries. They even managed to capture the Byzantine commander and ransomed him back to Constantinople for a hefty price. In February 1042, the Lombard Rebellion had been completely taken over by the stronger Norman mercenaries. Military decisions were not being called by Lombard leaders. They were in fact being called by the Norman mercenaries. This moment is when the Normans became the dominant military force in the war against the Byzantines. What started off as a group of mercenaries helping out Lombards gain independence turned into a full scale Norman conquest. By the time the leader of the Lombard rebellion realized he was not in control of his army, it was too late. The Lombard leader panicked and switched sides, joined the Byzantines in the war that he started. But it was already too late. The mercenaries he hired to fight his war were now in complete control. There were so many Norman mercenaries in Italy fighting for all sides of the conflict that it quickly became apparent that the Normans did not need anyone from either
0: side. In 1053, a Norman army, under the command of Richard Drengot, the nephew of Reynolf Drengot, captured a major Italian city for himself. He was supported by one of the Hotville brothers named Robert. Robert had fought for many years, living in the ditches and trenches and eating with his men in the wilderness while they besieged the Italian cities. He had worked his way up through the ranks by fighting bravely and viciously. At this point in time, the major powers of Italy, all of whom had hired Normans to fight with them, realized their true enemy wasn't each other, but the very men they hired to fight with them. The Holy Roman Empire, the Lombards, and the Byzantines all came to realize that it was the Normans who were the gravest threat. Instead of an independent Lombard kingdom, a Norman kingdom of southern Italy had been born. This Norman conquest triggered a swift response from the most important figure in Italy, the Pope. These heathens were disrupting the very stability of the Italian peninsula, and it was time to rid the land of Normans. As the Pope's army marched south, they quickly gained supporters from neighboring kingdoms, and soon, A major coalition of soldiers marched upon the newly acquired Norman lands. Even the Byzantine soldiers in the south joined this campaign and marched upon the Normans from the other side. The Normans were on the verge of being wiped off the peninsula entirely. The Normans had very little time to react. And they knew that if they waited for the armies to come to them, there would be no chance of success. They needed to fight these armies individually if they wanted any chance of survival. So the Normans marched their army north and confronted the Pope's army first. All the while, the Byzantine army pursued them from the south. When they finally met the Pope's army in battle, the Norman knights formed up with Robert of Hotville, otherwise known as Robert Giscard, commanding his own detachment on the right. The Normans were mounted on horseback. A long line of knights, while the opposing armies, made up of mostly Germans and Lombards, stood on the ground as infantry. The Lombards were mostly disorganized. If you want a good visualization of this battle, picture a chessboard. Only instead of the board being made up of mostly pawns, one side had nothing but queens, while the other side had nothing but pawns. The numbers might have been in the favor of the Lombards and Germans and the Pope, but the key players on the Norman side were all on horseback, heavily armed and bloodthirsty. While the two armies faced each other, the battle was put on hold. The Pope didn't want to engage the Normans until the Byzantines arrived from the south. And on the Norman side, the knights were Catholic and they now faced the Pope himself in battle. It was quite the moral conundrum for the Norman soldiers. Instead of fighting, the Normans sent a letter carrier to the Pope and requested a diplomatic end to this confrontation. Unfortunately for the Pope, the German soldiers responded to this request for peace with taunts and threats and a message to go back to the place you came from. The Pope wanted nothing more than to delay the battle. But the German insults forced the Normans to launch an attack. And so the battle began. The Norman cavalry charged.
1: The wall of heavily armed, disciplined knights charged the voluntary recruits of Lombard foot soldiers. Before the wall of knights hit the Lombard lines, the Lombards realized they were doomed. There was no way to stand up against these brutes. So they turned around and ran as fast as they could. When the Norman Wall of knights hit the Lombards, they cut down the men. However, in the center of the line, the German soldiers engaged the Norman warriors with thousands of arrows, falling many Norman soldiers before the two lines ever met. This battle was much more evenly fought. Robert Giscard led his men in a charge against the German soldiers and fought head-to-head against the Germans on the left front. The fighting was intense, as the Germans were highly trained warriors. Up until now, the Normans had been fighting Lombards and Byzantines, but as they faced the Germans in battle, they found themselves almost equally matched. The two armies locked into hand-to-hand combat and it looked like the stronger German or Holy Roman Empire was about to break the Norman army. Had things stayed the way they were, the Normans would surely have lost this battle. As a highly trained and disciplined army of German soldiers fought the Normans, but the weakened Lombards had completely broken, allowing the right flank of Normans to circle around the back of the Holy Roman Empire. And attacked the Germans from the rear. This event spelled the end of the battle. The Germans knew they were surrounded. They knew they were going to lose the battle. But instead of surrendering, they continued fighting right up until the very last man. What resulted was a total victory for the Norman soldiers. Seeing the battle was lost, the Pope fled to the city behind him and sought refuge behind the walls. But with the battle over, and thousands of dead Germans and Lombards littering the fields, the Normans marched to the walls of the Italian city. They called for the Pope to surrender, or face the total sacking of the city. Some sources claim the Pope saw the futility of the situation, bravely walked out of the gates, and surrendered to the Normans. Other sources claim that the people of the city grabbed the Pope, dragged him to the city gates, and threw him into the Norman army. I'm going to lean to the latter. Either way, the Normans defeated the Lombards and Germans and
0: managed to take the Pope himself as a prisoner. The Normans had won a distinct victory, and with the Pope as their personal prisoner, they were on top of the world. However, they were still Catholic, so they made sure to treat the Pope with the utmost respect and dignity. He wasn't a POW, he was an honored guest, but he was still under Norman captivity. Being a prisoner of the Normans, he was forced to recognize the Norman territory in southern Italy. It is said that in the battle, Robert Giscard's horse was killed on three separate occasions taking up a new horse and continuing the fight. His bravery was recognized by the Normans, and he was given military honors. The lands that once belonged to the Lombards were now legally the realm of the Normans. And Robert Giscard was granted the title of Duke by the Pope himself. So, what happened to that Byzantine army that's supposed to be coming up from the south? You know, I almost forgot about them. I guess we'll have to cover them in the next episode. Oh, one, one more thing, just before we sign off. I really liked
1: your chessboard analogy. It reminded me of a famous line somewhere, a picture is worth a thousand words, and, and boy, did that ever do it.
0: Well, that's it for today. Join us next time on the History of Modern Greece. Stay safe and stay awesome.